some time ago that really shocked me. And I'm, I'm guessing that uh, it's more shocking to a pastor of a church than potentially to the people of the church. <clears throat> but here's the quote. It, was from, it is from a man named A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer was a uh, great speaker, preacher, and author and, uh, of the 20th century and is still read today. I'd recommend him to you. But he said this, a quote that I'll we'll, we'll project up here. When people don't know how to worship, they need to be entertained. And when pastors don't know how to teach their people to worship, they need to entertain. What do you think of that? I honestly read that and I go, oh my goodness. When people don't know how to worship, they need to be entertained. And when pastors don't know how to teach their people to worship, they need to entertain. And some questions started to arise in my mind that I want to share with you. The first one being, do the people of IPC know how to worship? Do they know how? Um, you know, I've been here almost 26 years. I can't say, hey, the guy before me or whatever taught them, then it would be different. 26 years, either you do or you don't, right? So it kind of it, it took me back a little bit. Another question have I taught them to worship? I mean, have I taken that on my shoulders? Have I, had, have I been successful in that? Another one, are our, are our services on Sunday mornings entertainment or are they worship, the true worship of God? I don't know what you think about that, but we're going to dig into this a little bit. And then the last one, is my preaching entertainment more than it is worship? Um, questions that honestly to me were quite quite striking. They're based in some kind of somewhat core ideas. You know, one of them being worship isn't something that you go to or watch. It's something that you do. The idea that worship is something that people have to learn to do. You know, like riding a bike. Remember learning to ride a bike, you know, usually a parent is behind you holding the seat and you're wobbling back and forth and your parent let go, lets go and you fall over and you skin your knee, but you get back on the bike and you try it again and you do it again and again and again until you find the balance and you know how to ride a bike. And it's the same with learning to skate or learning to sing or, or anything else that we learn how to do. My friends, worship is something that we have to learn how to engage, how to do what worship is. Have you learned that? Do you know how to worship? Kind of a central question this morning, of course. Another key idea, worship is not something you do because you're here. It's something you do when you get here. Just because you're here doesn't mean you're worshiping. Know that. You can be here and not worship. You can have gone through the first 26 minutes of this service and not worship at all. All right? It's possible because you haven't learned how. See, the implication that, that is given to us by this, this great godly man is that there are followers of Christ who know how to worship and they engage it on a regular basis and there are those who don't. Um, and I guess I'm wondering where you sit in this dynamic. And I know that in this culture of ours, it's hard for Christ followers uh, to, 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 to really know worship because we are so used to being entertained. We really are. You know, how many of us have been to a movie in the last month? Hands way up in the air. Now, a, lot of, a lot of you have. I'm planning to go to one. Uh, fairly soon. How many of us go to the theater and see people acting before us? How many people go to hockey games or watch them on television? 
See, here's the essence of, of, of engaging in entertainment. It's the idea that you do and I'll watch. You know, you go up on stage and act for me and I'll applaud. Good job. Or I'll go to a hockey game and, you know, the, the Leafs are, you know, playing away. They're engaged in the activity. I'm watching because I'm being entertained. And, and, you know, it doesn't matter what the, 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 the um, venue is. You go to a movie, all the actors are performing on screen. We're sitting there watching them. We're being entertained. And it's almost so normal in our culture that it becomes habituated in us. We get really good at it. It's the way our brains function. Even to the point of coming to church on a Sunday morning, and the basic idea which we, which we bring to this experience that we're engaged in right now is, you guys up front, you do and I'll watch. You entertain me. Because that's why I'm here. That's what I know. I'm good at it. I, I do it all the time. It's absolutely natural for me to seek entertainment and enjoy it, even to the point of demanding it. See, what happens when you're, you're, you're an entertainment-oriented Christ follower and the show's not so good up here? Well, chances are really good. You might go somewhere else where the show's a bit better. You know, the speaking is better and the band is more, more, um, more effective, you know, and they do drama there and they, you know, the, the big Easter and Christmas productions, oh, they're fantastic. They do and I watch and I like it. So why wouldn't I go there? Sometimes the response is, well, the entertainment value is not that great, so I'll just go once in a while. And I've talked to you before about the new normal in our <clears throat> church culture here and, and I know it's way beyond southern Ontario, I've talked to people in the States, it's the same deal. The percentage of their church family coming to church on a regular basis, <clears throat> on a weekly basis, has dropped and dropped and dropped. Attendance has dropped and dropped and dropped because the new normal for regular churchgoers is to go twice a month. When I was a wee boy, that's not the way it worked. Back in the dark ages. You know, people went all the time because they were committed to something called worshipping God. It was a, a priority in their lives. They were, they were passionate about it. And sometimes, and I've mentioned this before to you as well, there's that category that church growth is now writing about in literature, the Duns, D-O-N-E-S. I'm done with church because I don't think I need it anymore, even Sunday mornings, in spite of God saying, do this regularly. Come into my presence and encounter me and worship me. Right? So we can respond in all kinds of different ways, and it grows out of this tendency, at least in part, to be entertained. It's easy to do these things. Because in the end of the day, what we're asking is for those people up front to satisfy me and my desires and my needs and my wants. That's entertainment. Oh, it's a fantastic movie. Oh, I love that hockey game. <laughs> I, I, I told you years ago, I was in Florida by a pool, uh, on a Sunday afternoon. I was by myself, beautiful sunny day, two senior women uh, floating in their, on their noodles. You know how people in Florida do that a lot? They just float on their noodles? And um, so I couldn't, I was reading a novel, but I couldn't avoid hearing, because there were only three of us at the pool. Couldn't avoid hearing what they said. And the conversation went something like this. Both of them having been in church on Sunday morning went something like, wasn't he wonderful this morning? He, was, he is such a good speaker. Oh, he, he just outdid himself today. And I started listening to this conversation, and I started to get horrified to think, is that what people do at IPC? Kind of evaluate 
the level of ability or of skill on this given morning. You know, oh, he did really, oh, wasn't so good today. Oh, he was fantastic this morning. Oh, man, bit of a snoozer, huh? As if coming to worship God is about evaluating the sermon and the preacher. See, that comes from an entertainment mentality. I sit, you watch, how well did he do? Pretty well, not so good. I want, you know, guess what this preacher wants to do for a couple of weeks. When we're confronted with this sort of dynamic about whether we as, as the people of God at IPC know how to worship or whether we don't, whether we prefer entertainment, I want to spend a couple of weeks with you teaching you about worship, teaching you how to, be, how to worship so that we can get really, really good at it. You know, there are a number of things this church is great at. People ask me, tell, about, tell me about the church where you pastor. They usually say your church. I know it's not mine, but that's how people talk. Uh, my first response is, is a church that is loving and gracious. And I think that is one of the most remarkable things anybody can say about a church. There is a ton of love here for God and for one another. If you've been here for any length of time, you know it to be true. And there's a lot of grace in this church. This is not a church where we hammer people about their behavior. When they fall off the rails, we judge them and condemn them and kick them while they're down. If I ever hear it, I try to kind of stamp it out. <laughs> and I hope you do too, because we want to be like Jesus and love people regardless, right? And you know, there are other things we do well. We've talked so much about servanthood, and we serve God and we build His kingdom. We talk about how we're a welcoming church, so we invite new folks in and make them feel like you're at home and on and on. Wouldn't it be fantastic if we were incredible at worship? So that God himself would look down upon us. See that church right there? They are good. <laughs> they know how to worship me. That's like a vision that we could take hold of and celebrate. So we're going to talk about worship for a little while. And I hope we're going to get really good at it, every single one of us. I'm going to uh, speak from a passage in Exodus chapter 4. Uh, but first I'm going to describe the scenario and read a couple of previous passages to help do so. Um, it's the story of the Israelite people. They have gone to Egypt in a time of famine. They have moved there, Jacob and Joseph and that whole story, and they become numerous. Uh, uh, as the text says, uh, 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 the king at the time who celebrated them has died. They have become slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and they are suffering greatly. So listen to this text, Exodus 2, 23 to 25. <clears throat> During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery. Note their condition. Groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning. There it is again. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. These people were having a tough go. They're groaning. The word is used twice. And they cry out to God, God, help us. God, do something for us we can't do for ourselves. We can't break from the power of this nation. Um, so what God does then, having heard them, is he calls Moses. And in chapter 3, there's this dialogue between Moses and God. God saying, go and free my people. Go confront the powerful king, Pharaoh. And Moses basically repeatedly saying, no, I don't want to go. Find somebody else. No, I don't want to do it. I'm not your guy. Well, as part of that discussion, you can read it more if you like, but... Uh, in Exodus 3, verses 4 to 7, this is what happens. The Lord said, I have seen the, what? The misery of my people in Egypt. Understand this, groaning in misery. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. 
and I am concerned about their, I want you to say it, their suffering. They are suffering in this circumstance. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land, that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and then the description of the residents of that land at the time. Um, that's the context, the suffering of the people of God. They're groaning, they're crying out to God. They're in a very difficult place. And then we come to chapter 4, verse 27 to 31. This is the text we're going to look at today and next week also. It says this. <clears throat> Moses eventually relents and he goes, and this is the description. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness and meet Moses. God had promised that Aaron would be Moses' spokesperson because he said, I'm not very eloquent, I can't talk. God said, I'll provide Aaron for you. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness and meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mount, mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say, and also about all the signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. That's pretty significant. <laughs> they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. I don't know about you, but that last sentence grabs me. In the same way that the quote from Tozer kind of shocked me, that sentence grabs me. When they had heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Um, a powerful line filled with powerful truths that I want us to learn from today. Here's the basic principle I want you to hear and understand and take home with you this morning. Worship arises out of an experience of God. Worship arises. It comes from an actual experience of God. Put yourself in the place of these people. The groaning, the misery, the suffering that they were enduring. And they cry out to God and said, God, you've got to help us. We're slaves. We're entrapped in this bondage, and it, it's painful, and we're hopeless. And one day, God came to them. In the persons of Moses and Aaron, God just showed up in their life in a given day. In the words that Aaron spoke as he essentially preached to them and told them about God and God's concern for them and the action that God had taken in calling Moses and what God had planned for them to take them from Egypt to the Promised Land. Like in this moment of time, you know, the, 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 the reality of God came, the power of God came through that word. And then it came through the experience of these signs that are, are referred to in this text. If you don't know the story, go read Exodus 3. Moses is saying to God in his, you can call it a discussion, but he's fighting hard against what God wants in his life. He said, what if I go there and the Israelites don't believe me? He says, take your staff, your shepherd's staff, and throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground, it became a snake, and God says, pick it up. And Moses picked it up and it became a staff again, the miraculous presence and power of God. And then God said to Moses, take your hand and put it in your cloak, and he put it in his cloak, and he said, God said, pull it out, and it was leprous, a feared disease, no, no cure, no, no solution for people in that day. And then God, and you think how Moses would have responded, it being terrible, it being shocking. And God says, take that leprous hand and put it back in your cloak, and Moses did, and God said, pull it out, and it was healed. The power of God was being exercised through this man. 
And God says, if you do that for the Israelites, they'll likely believe you. But if they won't even believe after these two signs, you can do this. Get a cup of water from the Nile and pour it onto the ground and it will become blood. So Moses went, and the text says that, that he did the signs. You know, did they require the third? I don't know, probably. But the, the, the staff was turned into a snake, and it became a staff, and the hand was cleansed, and it became leprous, and it became healed. And the water being poured in the ground, it became blood. God proved himself to these people. God showed up in power, and God, God, God convinced them of his reality and that the things that Aaron was saying and Moses wanted Aaron to say were actually true. Here's the foundational truth. When we experience the Lord, when we see him, when we see his power at work in our, in our lives, we as human beings naturally worship him. You see, without an experience of God, there is no true worship. Do you know that? Without a direct encounter with the power of the living God, we will never end up worshiping. We're going to spend our lives saying, entertain me, satisfy me, take care of my needs, do it the way I want it. But when we encounter the power of God, when we hear and see the reality of God present among us, we come to a place of being amazed by this God. And we bow down before him in worship. You know, the, there's a translation that I read this week for the phrase, the fear of God. It's often used in the Bible, especially the Old Testament. And people think, you know, we've got to get afraid of God. That's not what it means at all. The translation that I read I really loved. Instead of being afraid of God, it means to have an awe-inspired reverence for God. An awe-inspired reverence for God. To be so blown away by his reality, be so impacted by his presence and his truth and his power at working in your life that you are awed by the reality of who this God is. See, my friends, the problem with, with being entertained in comparison with what I've just described, you know, you know I'm going to go to a better preacher because I like him better or her better. I'm going to you know, go to this church because it's got a great band and it's inspiring to me. I'm going to go where they do the big productions, you know, whatever it might be. In the end, that perspective on church is not first and foremost about God. That perspective is first and foremost about me and what I want. What will satisfy me? I thought of the old phrase that I haven't heard in a million years, what will tickle my fancy, right? I'm going to go where I like it best because it satisfies me, and in the end of the day, that's what's most important, me. That's an incredibly different thing than what these people experienced. An incredibly different thing about coming into the presence of God and hearing the voice of God speak into your lives and seeing the power of God activate itself in your experience so much that you're left awed, wowed, amazed by the God who is present to you. I want to tell you, it's not just the power of God they experienced in preaching not just the power of God they experienced through the signs. It's also the, the reality that they came to know and encountered this God. They came to know his heart. God revealed himself to them. Let's read verse 31, the critical verse here. And when they had heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had, and had seen their misery, then, my friends, they bowed down and worshipped him. When they had heard that the Lord was concerned about them, and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped him. 
um, something incredibly significant in this. Because in this moment, it's like a light dawned in their mind, a realization settled into their hearts that this God of this universe, the God who has created everything that exists, the almighty, all-powerful God that they had learned about from their ancestors, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so forth, that faith that had been passed down to them, not only was this God present and not only was this God powerful, this is also a God who had noticed them, who was concerned about them. He was a God who loved them. This God saw them in their misery and he came to them because he cared for them. He loved them. I asked a couple of weeks ago before I began to speak, it wasn't planned, it just was, it rolled off the song that we were singing. It was so natural for me to say it, but I asked you a question and I said to you, do you know deep in your heart, are you absolutely convinced that the God of heaven knows you and that he loves you? That he really, really loves you. And I said then, when people come to that realization in their lives, it changes them forever. Something happens in their hearts. My friends, in this instance, these people had that change. They had this realization. God is concerned about us. He noticed us. He's heard our cry. And he's come to us. He's here. I want to tell you, my friends, again, the natural response of human beings when they recognize the reality of God's love for them is worship. And then, then if, I, if you would, I know I'm adding a word, but it was at that moment in time. They didn't bow down and worship seeing this powerful signs. They didn't bow down and worship when, when they heard uh, the preaching. They bowed down and worship when they became convinced God was present and this God really, really cared for them. He knew their suffering hint, and he was so concerned that he had sent these servants to freedom. Powerful, powerful truth. Do you know God loves you? Is that just a belief that you've been taught since you were knee-high to a grasshopper and it's kind of standard? Do you know God knows your circumstance? He knows your suffering. He knows your heartache. He knows your brokenness. He knows your misery, if indeed you're experiencing it. He knows your struggle. God knows, and God cares. He loves you with all of his heart. The question becomes, if indeed worship is to be an experience, an encounter of God, if worship is to be this dynamic experience where people, as the Israelites did, have this um, awesome moment with God where they see his power, they hear his voice, and they know his love, how does that play itself out in our experience? Let me tell you this, the most dynamic worship, and we're talking about ourselves now, the most dynamic worship in our lives and in our church arises out of a life of experience with God. You know, it arises out of a day-to-day -day experience of an all-the-time reality where we encounter God in His truth and in His power, and we know His love. Day after day after day, we see God working in our lives in dramatic and beautiful and dynamic ways. And people who encounter God on a regular basis, not just on a Sunday morning when they're worshiping Him, but people who encounter God on Monday through Saturday... They are eager to come to this place because they have been blown away by the reality of who God is and they want to get into his presence and they want to praise him with songs 
And they want to worship him with their whole lives. They want to honor him. What's so, you know, what, what I think is so relevant to us in, the, in these texts that I've read to you is that in each of these instances, the suffering, groaning people of God cried out. In the three passages I read to you, it's there three times. They cried out to God, God, help us, please. There's nothing else we can do. We're broken and we're suffering and we're in need and we can't free ourselves. Will you do for us what, what, I, what we cannot do for ourselves? I want to suggest to you, my friends, um, one of the things that, that, that leads us to worship, that prompts us, is when we can get into a place in our lives and we recognize our need and we can go to God and we can cry out to God and thus see God work. Does that happen in your life? Are you encountering God? Are you experiencing God? You see, the, the reality is the more we know our need, the more we can cry out, and the more we cry out before God, the more we will experience God. And the more we experience God, the more we will worship God. And my, one of my questions to you from a very practical point of view today is do you know your need and are you crying out to God so that he can move in power and in love so much so that your experience of him is undoubted and awesome and, and, and impactful so that you can end up being a worshiping follower of Jesus. And to that end, I, w- I basically want to ask you a question. Um, what is your need? What is your need? You know, a lot of people have need and they don't turn to God. A lot of people, even Christian people, have all kinds of need in their lives and you know who they turn to to solve their problems? Themselves. Once again, we put our place, ourselves in the place of God. My friends, I want to tell you, the more we acknowledge our need, the more we can cry out to God, and the more we cry out to God, the more we will experience God because he loves us and because he's powerful. And the more we experience God, the more we will be people who are left in awe about the reality of how we have encountered God again and again and again. And we will worship him. So what you do between now and next Sunday will determine... For example, the effectiveness of your worship next Sunday. We need to be coming to this place primed to say thank you, primed to say, God, you are awesome. Because we have encountered him. And we know his power and we know his love. Of course, the other way we can, we can worship really simply is we can come to a place like this on a Sunday morning. And we can encounter God here. Here's a scary question for a pastor who's been in a church 26 years. But very, very simply is when you come to this place on a Sunday morning, do you encounter God? Or do you just sing along the, the songs and hear the preacher preach? One is religiosity, religious practice that is void of God. The other is the worship of God that is life-transforming. Here's what often happens, contrary to what I just described about you know, experiencing God every day in the week in his word and in power and, and, and his saving us and, us and in his helping us. Here's what often happens. We get caught up in life. And the, the demands of life, if you would, take our focus in life. Now, often it's work. We all spend a lot of time at work, and work is demanding, and work is challenging, and work throws curveballs at us, and work makes life miserable at times. Sometimes it's joyful, but work becomes 
life. Sometimes it's family life. I'm thinking particularly of little kids in the house. I went to Florida and, uh, this past, well, a week ago now, and for the first time, I saw these young parents with young kids swimming and playing, and I wish I had young kids again. It was kind of a weird experience. It hasn't happened till that point. But I know what it's like to have little kids in the house. It's demanding, right? You know, they're falling down and skinning their knees, and they're crying, and they eat cuddled, and they eat, and there's food all over their face, and they eat washed, and they eat bathed every night, and, they, and diapers, diapers. The, the, the day I changed my last diaper was an incredibly good day in my life. I said, oh, thank you, God. <laughs> but you know, when you have little kids in your house, and you're working, and the demands are there, it, that can become your focus. And you know, sometimes what happens, no matter what the circumstance is, we kind of think that's what life is. This is what it has become. And we are people who believe in God, but somehow we've lost the focus of God. And God says to his people, because he loves us, come into my presence week after week after week. Come into the experience of God and worship me. Know again who I am. Understand my love for you. Understand what I have done for you. Understand the power of God as it comes into your life to transform and change you. And I say again to you, when you come here on a Sunday morning, is this entertainment or is this an encounter of God in his power and in his truth and in his love so much that you are left awed by him, not by me, not by the band, by God. See, the reality is this. This story that we are encountering today, this story of Moses and the Israelites, it's only a picture of what would become ultimately. It's a great story. God was active. He saved. He showed himself. He revealed himself. He formed his nation. He protected it, and he allowed it to carry on so it would ultimately produce the person of Jesus Christ. But Moses is the Christ figure. Moses is the one who represents the reality of what would come to us in Jesus. He, ultimately, Jesus is the Savior. And we are the people of God, and we too are in misery and suffering under the bondage to the power of sin, the New Testament tells us. And here's the reality. Every single one of us in this room have our lives diminished and harmed by the power of sin. And Jesus was sent by God the Father to come into this world to save us, and he came and he died on a cross. Why, by the way, did Jesus come? Because God loved people. And he knew they needed a savior. He heard our cry, and he saw us in our misery, and he sent Christ in this world, and Jesus died on the cross, the most powerful act of God that has ever been experienced through weakness and submission to the of death, through love. Here is the love of God for you and for me. And Christ rose again from the dead so that we could know him as our Lord and as our Savior, so we very literally could have his spirit in our lives, so we could come to faith, so we could find forgiveness of that power of sin, so that we could start to break free from it. I want to tell you, my friends, we need to come into the presence of God regularly to be reminded about what God has done for us in Jesus, so that work and diapers aren't the focus of our lives, so that he is the focus of our lives. And we can be reminded about the power of God and the love of God and the presence of God and the truth of God. Let me say this to you. Sunday morning, what are we to encounter here? What is the idea biblically? What we are to encounter 
is not only to be reminded of that which we believe. I want you to be reminded of what I just told you. I just reminded you, by the way. But we are to go way beyond just being reminded of the truth that is. It is something that we need to experience here every single Sunday morning. Let me put it to you this way. If this truth about Christ coming, dying, and being raised to new life is only something you believe as opposed to something you experience here in God, by His Spirit, there is something wrong. What I want to say to you is that the, the, the dynamic reality is we have to come into this place and so encounter this God who has died in our place and His power so that He frees us in an ongoing way from the power of sin that continues to be at work in us. His truth comes and it penetrates to our hearts and we are healed where we are broken and we are set free from sin where it takes hold of our lives. This experience is to be an experience of the living God so much so that we are set free. And we are set free from that bondage in greater measure and so much so that we can become what God created us to be, people made in His image without the power of sin dominating our lives. So I want to ask you again, when you come into this place, is it just us entertaining you or are you encountering God? And are you being set free from that power of sin? And is that message coming in a powerful way and is God taking it and transforming your heart and your mind so that you become more like Christ? So much so that you can stand back recognizing the love of God, not only in what Jesus did then, but what Jesus has done this morning, and you stand back in awe and in wonder at the reality of this God whom you know, so much so that you bow down in his presence and worship him. Are you getting it? I want to wind up. I, I, I've said to you what I want to say. But I want to tell you, this is huge. This is so incredibly important. God did not institute worship because it was a nice thing that he wanted us to do so we could have coffee afterwards. He wanted this to be a time and a place. If it doesn't happen at home, and I sure hope it does, I want, he wanted it to be a time where we would show up and we would encounter him and be transformed by him. Healed and restored. Made more fully into the image of his son. So here's how I want to wind down. I want to ask you truly today, what is your need? You don't think you have much need of God. You're, you're miles from this. That's, that's face fact. If you, if you don't think anything's going on in your life which requires you to have a savior named Jesus as they had a savior named Moses, so to speak, and if you're not experiencing, if you would, misery and suffering so much so that you need to cry out to God and say, God, help me, do for me what I cannot do for myself, you're not going to end up a worshiper, at least not now. But here's what I'd like to say to you. I think every single one of us desperately needs God. I'll say it in two ways. There are probably some people in this room today who have never come into that face-to-face -face interaction with the living God. They have never had their sin forgiven. They are living under the, what the Bible in the New Testament calls the bondage of sin. You can't break free of it. It is more powerful than you, and you're stuck there. 
and you've never come to that place of acknowledging Christ as Lord and asking him to forgive your sin and inviting him into your life so that through his power being exerted in you, you can break free. Millions of people have experienced this. You might not have gotten there yet. But if you are willing to recognize your suffering and your misery, recognize what sin is doing to your life and cry to God, Christ will come to you and he will forgive you your sin and he will enter into your life and he will exercise the power of God and you will be set free, first of all, from the consequence of sin, the guilt, and you will know the reality of heaven. He, will, he guarantees it. And he will begin to work in your life in such a fashion as you continue to worship him, as you continue to cry out to him, he will, in a consistent and um, significant manner, exercise his power to help you break free from the power of sin until its hold on you is all but not. There may be people here today who need to say yes to Jesus for the very first time. Lord Jesus, I need you. Forgive me my sin, please. Come into my life and enable me to be the person you created me to be. I'm going to give everybody a minute of silence. And if that's you, can I ask you to pray that prayer? Can I ask you to get really honest with God and cry out for mercy and grace? Ask for forgiveness and invite Christ into your life? That's the beginning of the life of worship the beginning of the Christian life, no matter how long you've been in church. Second thing, I know there are a ton of people here today who have already done that, but I know that you still have needs in your life that are very real. Maybe at work, you're saying, Chris, you want me to cry out to God to solve my problem at work? That's, isn't that a little weird? No, <laughs> because God is concerned for you, and he is concerned, as we've talked about in recent weeks, about the reality of what's going on in work. And he wants to bless people there, and he wants to change circumstance. And if you will cry out to God because of your work circumstance, God will work. I'm telling you, God will bring not only his love, but his power, and you will see him, and you will be left in awe because God has done something you can't do. Is it a marriage? Here's your pastor's experience with talking to people who were troubled in marriage. They come to me after years of struggle and heartache, and it's almost too late. Almost. If your marriage is struggling, and if you've tried to fix it, and if you have depleted the resources that you have as a human being, if you have banged your head against that stone wall long enough, it's time to cry out to God and say, God, will you do what we can't do? Will you bring love back into this relationship? Will you help us to forgive or to confess? Will you restore what was once a beautiful and, and cherished thing and make it good again? You know what I think this text of Scripture says is if we cry out to God, God will come because he's concerned about us, because he loves us, and he, by his power, will do what we cannot do. Sometimes it's a financial mess that we find ourselves in and it looks hopeless. Sometimes it's an emotional thing and we're struggling with depression and heartache and anxiety and fear and whatever it happens to be and we just can't see a way out of this one. You know what? On your own, you probably can't. Those Israelites were not going to get away from Pharaoh on their own. They needed the presence of God to overpower the power of Pharaoh. And while you cry out to the Lord and say, hey, I need you. I desperately need you and I pray that you will come and I pray that you will do what I cannot do. And I could go on and on, health issues and family life and so forth. My friends, I want to tell you, the reality of sin is it is weaved into this creation now, and someday it'll be destroyed and done away with, but at the moment we live in its reality. 
and it, it, and it seeks to destroy, and the devil seeks to destroy the lives of, of people and God's people in particular, you need Jesus to solve your problem. And if you will simply cry out to him, I'm, I'm telling you, he will come. And he will prove himself to you, his power and his love. And you will be left in that place where all you can do is bow down and worship. And this thing won't be about entertainment anymore. Oh, wasn't he wonderful? Or didn't he stink today? I don't want to know. I don't want to know. But what you will, be, what we, you, you will experience is you will get caught up in an experience of God. And in that experience of God, you will be left amazed at who God is. And you will become one who worships him, gives him glory, bows in his presence. Those last few words we're going to talk about next weekend. About the how of worship. So listen, I want us to end with a moment of quiet. If you want to do this, great. If you don't want to do it, that's okay. You know, just kind of respect the rest of us in silence, if you would. But I would just say to every single person here, I would encourage every single person here, if you wish, to in a minute close your eyes, and we'll have about a minute of silence. And, and I would encourage you to pray. For some of you, I said, it's, it's your time to invite Christ into your life, to say you need forgiven from the power of this, all the sin you've done. And he'll wipe the slate clean, and he will completely forgive you. And he'll show up in power in your life, in love. And for others of us here, there are particular issues. I hope the Spirit of God has revealed them to you, as I've spoken in the last few minutes. Cry out to God. Ask him in. Ask him to do what you cannot do. And then we'll see what God does. Let's pray together. Lord God, what this passage has brought us today is remarkable truth that we as simple, normal human beings can in an ongoing way, day by day and Sunday by Sunday, come into your presence and actually experience you in your love and in your power, in your truth, in your grace. But God, when we just cry out to you and get really honest with you, we can be people who have our sin forgiven and become your children and all of a sudden have Christ by his spirit in our lives to help us live the lives that we long to live. We can be people who can break free from the incredible power of sin because one who is in us who is greater than the one who is in the world. We can be people who encounter God and who are left having experienced you, our God, with this sense of awe and wonder about how an amazing God you are. So God, I pray for this people today. I pray for these people gathered before me, and I pray 
that whatever they have brought to you, however they have cried out to you, Lord, that in your time, God, we know you act in your own way and in your own time, but in your time, you will prove yourself to them. And you will show them that you are concerned for their struggle and their suffering. And you'll show to them how much you love them by acting in a powerful way to set them free from what it is that they have identified today. God, come in your power. Come in your love. And allow us to so experience you that we, are, and we end up being worshipers of the living, true God. Teach us, Lord, how to worship. Show us what it means to encounter you and recognize your greatness so that we can come before you and bow down in your presence and then worship you. And this, God, we pray in the precious name of your Son, the Lord Jesus.